You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Welcome, welcome everybody to the Morning Update Show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday. want to welcome you to a warm Wednesday because it's definitely feeling nice and warm here in the studio with all this love permeating in the building. I got to give a huge shout out to all of y'all who've been supporting all of our shows here. We so appreciate you. And of course, I got to give a double shout out to my co-host with the most, Big O. Double shout out. What's up, Big O? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you better hit him with that double dose of Big O, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm, you know, I just realized something too, and we don't want to forget because I don't see it here in in the notes. You know, supposed to be, you had a call to action for community. Yes. Or you want to get that out now, or you want to yeah. do it later? Yeah. Well, thank you for mentioning Take it. It, it is a good time right now. You know, we here in the Pacific Northwest, we're always caring for all of these events that we see happen when they're tragic or not. But there's something that somebody reached out to me and said, look, we need to encourage people to go to grocery stores or when you're at the grocery store, you know, maybe pay for a senior's groceries, maybe half of them, but help them get those groceries to the car. This is a community kind of initiative. There's no main event or main organization that's, uh, you know, upholding this, but I want to put it out there. I think it's great, a great opportunity for us to connect with our our elders in this community, really in the solidarity of what has taken place in Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. We've been talking about that this week. And so I want to encourage you all, as I'm always saying, to see yourself as a part of the solution. And that's one of the ways that you can do it. Help your seniors and your elders out here in your community with their groceries. All right. So I have a few things to say about that. One, I think that's great. Two, you know, it's, you're talking about our, our cherished community members, our elders in community, a group that we always have. I tell people, I'm like, man, do you ever want to mobilize, converge in, in, in like in or across every category here? Be messing with our young people and our elders. Yeah. You know, um, two, I say that that's part and parcel of so much of our, our viewership here. People believe in um, paying it forward. Right. And people believe in random acts of kindness. Yeah. And that's the best kind. Mama always says, I think the Bible says too, by the way, but mama always says, be a joyful giver. Yeah. And when you're just giving with no expectation and something coming back, man, that's the best stuff happens. It's the best feeling too. Absolutely it is. And I think too that, you know, we're seeing tragedies happen, but how can we, you know, build real community? How can we ensure that we're building relationships and connecting with folks? That really is the key. Let's connect with people right now so we don't, you know, before any tragedies happen, let's make sure that we're making those connections. It's important. All right, good stuff. Well, today is today's Wednesday. Yeah. Hot dog. This man, it's moving along. Today is Wednesday. Mike Davis got the day off today, but we are joined by Brian Callanan from the Seattle Channel. He's gonna give us an update. The latest what's going on over there at City Hall, as well as what people can expect tonight at seven o'clock on Seattle News, Views, and Bruce. And yo, Northwest Folk Life is in the building. We've got Reese and Benjamin from Northwest Folk Life, man. This is a lot. It's that time of year. You know what I'm saying? And so they're going to be diving into that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to connecting with them. I think uh, what they're doing is so phenomenal. They got a lot of things brewing, so we'll dig into it today. Yeah. Sharp, too. <laughs> Sharp. I don't know if they even make a suit like that my size. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? You look good. Okay. All right. Y'all ready? You ready, someone? There we go. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. Man, I want to remind you that right now is the perfect time to tag and share the stream. Go ahead and tag and share the stream with people you feel would appreciate culturally relevant news and information emanating from right here in the Emerald City. Want to give a big shout out to our partners, KBCS 91.3 over at Bellevue College, as well as the South Seattle Emerald. Remind everybody you can listen to the Morning Update show anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. That's Google, Spotify, iTunes, over 200 other platforms. All you have to do is search Converge Media Network. Time in our show right here, you know, this particular campaign is actually coming to an end. So it's ending before COVID is. But uh, hereforuswa.org, hereforuswa.org, culturally curated uh, information and resources for those in our community or vaccine hesitant, or want more information about this vaccine. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I'm glad that we've been able to tap on this entire time uh, uh, for the life of this campaign, because honestly, there is still a lot of questions out there, and rightfully so. We're seeing all of these different transformations of COVID with these variants. We're seeing a lot of people get sick right now, even as we're kind of changing because we really haven't had spring hit yet. So we're seeing people get sick right now. COVID is still out there. It's alive and well. And I also think, too, oh, that regular sickness has just become a, a different variant of COVID. I mean, you, you know, my niece was coughing at my parents' house yesterday and I was literally like, hey, I just, I can't take the risk. Whatever you got, go downstairs, put a mask on. She was like, really? I'm like, no, seriously. So it's real. I think a lot of us are just seeing any kind of cold and we're thinking, uh-oh, COVID. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for like a whole year, nobody ever got cold. Right. So you notice that. So now if you got a cold, it's like, yeah, so I just stay in my bubble. Man, <laughs> <laughs> man it, it definitely wasn't a bubble last night, though. It was active right here in the Black Media Matter studio. The truth with proof. We just got we got a shot right here. This is an epic shot. This is from last night. And we got a recording artist, Louie. He was in here. He stays on to uh, Atlanta now, right? Yeah, <clears throat> from Tacoma, stays down in Atlanta. There with with the uh with proof in the play, we had uh Chef Mia, yo, smoked turkey leg with macaroni and cheese on it, and then the, the pineapple bowl we had crab legs, steak, scrimps, you know. I mean it was it was all kinds of stuff, man. You had a brother who made candles, you see Shaylon the Don was up there, Cuddy, you know, man, bird's eye. I mean, it was real, it was just so much just positive black energy in here, creative energy. That's the best thing about proof shows. Always somebody who's in a creative space. What well, always has a chef, had an author. Um, man, uh, uh, she had wrote a, a children's book. So last night he had a chef, an author, a candle maker, and two recording artists. Uh, there we go, man. Proof is killing the game. Shout out to you, brother, man. This is amazing to watch this show take off the way it is. And you know what's so funny is, is that I'm hearing about it in the community, too. That's what I love is yeah. that our shows really permeate, man. Beautiful. It's moving. And so something else, we don't have a picture yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, put some up tomorrow. Congratulations, Basa Gordon, the uh, the real Seattle media mixer. Man, it was close to 200 people at Gold Bar last night. Uh, she had a panel there of you know social media influencers, so many black media. Like, it's crazy. So you, you had, like, 
uh, you'd say mainstream black media, you had up and coming. And then, you know, in the traditional sense, you had all kinds of people who do podcasts, photographers, writers, uh, man, people who just enjoy the space. They was all there last night at Gold Bar. Real dope. The the um, real Seattle media mixer happens every, once a month, uh, the second Tuesday every month. There we go, man. Basa killing the game. I love hearing this about all of our Converge family out here doing it big and doing it the way that they need to. You know what? I will say this. You know, this is something that's exciting because that's clearly a big night for us here at Converge to have Truth with Proof and Basa both killing it in their respective spaces. Shout out to you, Basa. I'm so glad that. They the event turned out well. I can't wait to be there next month. Yeah, right, for sure. Um, so we got something here. This is Marcus Harrison Green. And usually there's something we talk about every year. You know, Marcus done big time now. He's <laughs> he I, last time I talked to him, it was probably like two weeks ago. He's like, Yeah, brother, uh, I've officially left the ship. I got I got a new crew now who drives the ship. <laughs> but this is from Marcus Harrison Green. It's about uh something we talk about kinship care yeah grandparents and we talk about this national foster care month everything else you got an overlay there that would be the one okay there it is right there there's an opinion from from marcus harrison green it says that here thousands of washington grandparents are raising kids and they need more help and this is something that we talk about you know um says food insecurity has been growing concern for caregivers and the rising costs have made it more challenging as financial assistance um is not stretching as far and basically kinship caregivers are relatives who step in to raise a relative's child outside a formal foster care system when a biological parent faces drug addiction mental illness and other challenges. You can bring that down. But the the thing is, Trey Holiday is like, we've been following this. There's so many people, especially in our community, across communities, right? Across the state of Washington, um, who the the parent is not able to be in the picture for a few different reasons. And a family member, well, we always say grandma steps in and raises a child, but because the child's not technically in foster care, they're not able to access a lot of financial resources for that child. Yeah, this is a really um, interesting situation here because, you know, a lot of black families, I know when I was growing up, they were being raised by their grandmother, by their grandparents. I mean, that was something that was um, kind of normal to me. It was definitely in my family. My grandmother helped to raise, you know, um, two of my my cousins, um, her grandchildren. And also later on, another two of, of my cousins stayed with my grandma for a time. But this is a, a tough situation because as a family member, do you allow that family to go into foster care just to hopefully be the one that can get them? It's a tough call because ultimately that means that there's a propensity for them to be placed elsewhere. And I don't know how often that system prioritizes family to step up and be the ones to do that. But it's a tough call for families when they have to step up like that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, something else here. This is from Capitol Seattle blog, the design. Uh, Seattle de design review process. There it is right there. Capitol Seattle blog shareholder meetings to begin overall Seattle design review process. The person a series of meetings of a stakeholders group uh, uh, convened to produce recommendations for speeding up the process and addressing economic and equity issues in Seattle's design review. And that takes place actually today. And we've got that link there in the comments. So I'm put that there. 
Um, organized by the Seattle Department of Construction and Inspection, the sessions will not be open to the public, but will be recorded and made available by the city. You can also add your comments and feedback to the sessions plan to include architects, designers, and developers from across Seattle's spectrum of market rate and affordable development, as well as representatives from SDCI and the Office of Planning and Community Development. The city says its stakeholders group with SDCI and OPCD will conduct a racial equity toolkit analysis of the city's design review program. I know you're big in this development space, Trey Holiday. So they're, they're, they're retooling uh, basically the design review process. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is important, I think, for community members to be engaged in this process. So please uh, utilize that link that Saman put in the comments. Make sure that you understand how to make your voice heard in this process. This is something that really governs um, a lot of what we see in terms of how our city is built. And while we may um, see the benefit, the outcomes of a lot of this uh, development, uh, we need to be the ones driving a lot of this development, really shaping how our city is built and ensuring that we are building institutions and buildings that really support the needs of community members. This is something that's really important to me because I think a lot of times we miss the mark. We don't understand that we need to be a part of these processes. And yes, it may mean, you know, a couple extra much of your time, a little bit more of your time, but it's important. And, you know, I don't want us to only just be complaining about, oh man, these for-profit developers and gentrification, this and that, when we can actually be involved in these processes. So make sure your voice is heard on this one. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, design as well is like, you know, he should build his with some swag, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it's just real deal. These guys, beyond, like you said, even beyond the whole is issue of gentrification, displacement, <clears throat> excuse me, y'all got to do better on some of these designs, dog. Like some of these buildings is, bruh. You know, I, my mom talks about this term, architectural trauma. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you leave the neighborhood, you come back, and it's just a bunch of square boxes. I was talking to an Uber driver the other day, and we were talking about how much it had changed. And I said, we're fortunate in Seattle, the topography, there's so many hills and reference points. You could look over and see the Olympics, look over and see the Cascades. But imagine a city is totally flat, like Houston or like Chicago, and you come back to a neighborhood you see what I'm saying? And and because it's flat, there's no reference points and all these neighborhoods have changed and all these buildings look the same. So anyways, glad something's happening there. The article is uh, the link to the articles right there in Capitol Hill, Seattle blog. Only got one more thing here. It's a video. So man, I'm giving you a hint. We got this over. We, we were going to go to this, man. The, the, the first Copperhead <clears throat> salmon came in yesterday and it was originally supposed to come in at 245. And so we were like, yeah, we're going to go and get the salmon. And I think we were even going to see if someone could kiss the salmon, right, for good luck. But they changed it to 645 a.m. So clearly we, were <laughs> we weren't there. But our buddy over there at Alaska Airlines, Kaylee Olsen, uh, sent over some photos. You can put those up. And so here we are right here. It's a copperhead. Uh, the salmon came in yesterday. Captain Kevin Yarborough brought the, the salmon off the plane. That's Greg Dole, Copper, Copper River Seafoods. Um, it says here 17,000 pounds of uh, <laughs> salmon. And uh, the first fish weighed 30 pounds. Oh, no. We might have to keep tradition, Trey Holiday. One year ago, and uh, last year it was the Salmon 30 salmon that came down. One year ago, we went to Chef Trey Lamont, yeah. and Trey Lamont 
made us some salmon. Yeah. So we might need to call Chef Trey Lamont today and see what he can do for us. Absolutely. You know, I'm down for that. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, this is something that is so true to Seattle life, uh, Pacific Northwest, you know, getting uh, fresh fish here is a real thing. I'm excited about this. Oh, yeah, no, 30 big, pounds is huge. Yeah, <laughs> And listen, that's a whole paycheck. Right. <laughs> like, like, like even before inflation, a, a whole copperhead is, is that's a paycheck, dog. Uh, that's real. A <laughs> uh, uh, big shout out to Kaylee, everybody over there at Alaska Airlines. We're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, there he is, Brian Callen, host and moderator from the Seattle Channel. You're watching the Morning Update Show. When COVID first hit, I was very afraid. There was so much things that I had to keep inside because I didn't know where to place my feelings. Most of my information for COVID is from my own research. I'm a doctor in educational leadership. And when the FDA approved Pfizer, it helped me realize that the vaccination is healthy. We don't want to be left behind because we're not taking the vaccine. But we want to get as much information as possible so that we are putting ourselves in better hands and not at great risk. All right, you see the cool bumper, right? Is that what that's called? That yeah, yeah, that's a little bumper. The interstitial. The, the interstitial, the uh -huh. bumper. And this, this is an expert that we got right here <laughs> welcoming Brian Callan, host and moderator of Seattle Channel, and also co-host of Seattle News, Views, and Brews with David Croman. Mm -hmm. Airs tonight, latest episode tonight, 7 p.m. Welcome back. Good to be here, Omari. It's good to be back in the studio once again, my man. Yeah, it's a great uh, fashion choice today. I had to too. be had to be done. You know, I'll, I'll work in some Mariners too, but we gotta let's get a couple more wins on the board, huh? Come on yeah. Now. Oh, we gotta get man. There. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm there, rain or shine. You know that, but yeah. I, I like to see a few more W's. So yeah, that's we have me. to catch a game soon. Yeah, yeah, for real. All right. So tell us, man, what's going on over City Hall? We've got a bunch of things happening this week, and I'm trying to capture a few of them on Seattle News, Views and Brews, which is happening tonight, 7 o'clock right here on Converge. One of the things that's really interesting, Omari, is the Seattle City Council this week is talking with the Seattle Police Department at a few, about a few different ways they report things. On the plus side of things, they're working on a new way to actually report missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. The Governance Committee is going to take a look at this tomorrow on Thursday. And it looks like the Seattle Police Department has a really good path to try to improve that. Council President Deborah Juarez really pushing this. She wants to see that happen. But on the flip side of things, and we talk about this on the podcast tonight, the Seattle Police Department is having a few issues in how it reports its surveillance work. And this is a big thing. It might be kind of under the headlines a little bit, but this is something that Seattle the police department needs to work on, according to the city council, with regard to the way it reports on things. Specifically, they're looking at some of their audio recording technology. So, you know, got a wire on you, something like that, right? So how is the city of Seattle's police department doing that in such a way that it's acting in an equitable way? Is it doing things in a way that it is being discriminatory towards people of different colors or whatever else? Are they doing things to actually measure the authenticity of the things they're recording? And, and this is a big deal. It looks like the SPD needs to work on this. And I was just thinking about the proud boys ruse from a couple of a couple yeah. of months ago i mean when you talk talk about seattle and police department and audio there's some questions come here. on come on man yeah. and so like the best thing is is i don't even need to be like opinionated about this <laughs> yeah. i'll just put the facts out here yeah. it's like the seattle police department 
you know, they, they came up with a with a ruse or a hoax. Yeah. They missed they misused the, the public's uh, uh, um, infrastructure. You know what I'm saying? The yeah. radio, the technology. They scrambled other departments who thought that this hoax that they was doing was yeah. real and other groups got scrambled there. And the biggest thing they never did is they never reported or documented right. it. You know, and, and that was the main thing. Uh, believe it or not, they ended up getting flagged on the most is it wasn't reported or documented, mm -hmm. which also makes you think how many other misuses of the Seattle Police Department, their their audio surveillance, their video surveillance and everything else happens here every day. We mm -hmm. only caught that ruse because Speck had a recording at the time. Yeah. If we didn't have an audio recording, because you know it, it was cleared from SPD's uh, uh, recordings. Yeah. If we didn't have that audio recording, the Seattle Police Department would have got away yeah. with misusing their mm -hmm. communications, the rules, hoax, everything. I'm glad you brought this up. It, I was unaware. It, it's a big deal because it's one of those things that I think is getting lost in the shuffle a little bit when we start talking about police hiring and what needs to happen there. That's taken up a lot of the headlines there. But there's the underpinnings of this, which I know a lot of people say, oh, it's another boring city council meeting. A lot of times those devils in the details there are a really big thing. And I know not too many people are thinking about how surveillance works or whatever else. I did a story on this back in 2013 when the SPD got a federal grant. They're like, great, got this money. How are we going to use it? They put up cameras all over Alki and Ballard and the ACLU was like, hold up, what are we using these for? And what it turned into was a 2017 ordinance by the Seattle City Council to actually follow up on this. And what the council's saying right now is SPD might actually need some more dollars. I'm not quite sure how that's going to go, but they need to fix their reporting when it comes to their surveillance. That, that's an issue. First of all, here we go. They need to stop playing on the radio. Mm. <laughs> okay. 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 That, that's like, that's a good start right there. <laughs> Second of all, they need to be honest and truthful with the citizens. It shouldn't have took 14 months. It took 14 months yeah. for them to come out and admit that they, they, they ran this hoax, this ruse mm -hmm. and, that, and everything else. Yeah. Thirdly, they need to figure out how they're even going to gain trouble before they're talking about buying more, more bugs or yeah. anything else. How do you even restore the trust of a city here? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because all that ruse didn't it just impact one bit, one no. whatever. You know, the ripples of that ultimately went national yeah. because of the cause and effect. So how does SPD even regain the trust of people to for anybody to, to get behind that? I'm sure yeah. there's situations where you need you need intelligence, you need yeah. listening device, you need video surveillance, mm -hmm. you need, you know what I'm saying? You got sex traffickers out yeah. here, people pushing fentanyl, all, all kinds of stuff, and you yeah. need evidence for it. But man, I'll be honest with you, they're not mm -hmm. really in a real like trustworthy light in a yeah. lot of communities right now. Yeah. And 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 that's another piece of this because we are talking on the podcast tonight about the hiring incentive plan that the Seattle City Council did end up approving last week. So you've got Councilmember Herbold putting six hundred and fifty thousand dollars into this. She's gonna work on hiring a recruiter for the SPD. The city's gonna do that. Also have some money set aside for relocation bonuses. Councilmember Nelson didn't get all she wanted, but it looks like about $350,000 is what she's pushing for, for some different ways to advertise what the city of Seattle is looking for and try to work on some different recruitment uh, and retention uh, benefits for the department there. And also in the process of looking nationwide for a chief, which is underlying all of this right now. So let me tell you, okay. I don't feel that I should get any special treatment, you know, mm -hmm. where, where by size, by reach, we're one of the smallest media outlets here in the city. Mm -hmm. However, 
the first time I've got my first non-response from mm. the Herald administration. Interesting. And when, when they put out that press release saying like, you know, that the mayor agrees with, uh, yeah, with this Nelson and, and her bold. Yeah. Yeah. And it said for questions, email Jamie house. And yeah. I emailed Jamie house. And I said, where in this press release does, or, or any of these agreements where's the vetting of the officers to ensure that you're getting the right officer here. Are you guys going to hire another officer who's going to run a rules on us? Are you going to hire another officer who is just doing their job and puts copious amounts of tear gas up there in a whole neighborhood? Are you going to yeah. hire officers who are just randomly shooting hitting people in the head with rubber mm -hmm. bullets? Yeah. Are you hiring people who are used to other people who don't look like them? Yeah. What's the criteria based upon it? And I asked Jamie Housen for a comment from the mayor because they're, so they're pushing the money, but what's the guarantee yeah. on the community side? My first non-response from City Hall. It's interesting you say that, and I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where that goes, but I do know that the police department, under the leadership of the interim chief here, Adrian Diaz, is working on a Seattle-specific academy, meaning these new recruits they're bringing in and also the officers they have, they're working on training them in a certain way that hopefully will give them some more insight about how it's going here in Seattle and hopefully trying to answer some of these questions you have because I think everybody has those questions about it's not just the money, it's the type of officer that comes out of that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> One one hundred, and we we see what a difference that makes. Yeah, as well. I mean, I'll, step number one: stop hiring people that are scared of black folks. Yeah, like that. I mean, that's a good first step. Just yeah. stop hiring officers that are scared of black people, that are scared of melanin, that are scared of all of a sudden who see somebody black and it's a threat. You see what I'm saying? We see that in the reaction. Officers, not all of us. It's, it's a thousand officers on this force. Yeah, I'm not going to throw all thousand officers where, but I'm just telling you that there's the ones that are scared of black people. And then also I keep bringing this up. Mm -hmm. Those black officers catch hell in the locker room. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They catch hell from white officers when they in, when, when they inside the precinct. Right. So black officers are catching them both ways. I mean, this they really need they need this academy. They need yeah. an introspective look at the type of officer they're putting on the streets. Absolutely. And we're also looking at a few more things with the SPD tonight. But we also are touching on this work by the Herald administration last week to clear out Woodland Park, an encampment that was there for a long time, as you'll recall. They moved in last week on Tuesday to move what was remaining of the different tents there that, uh, out of there. So the Herald administration was really talking about this as there was a long outreach, and there was several months worth of outreach to the different people who were living in that park, a number of tents. It's an encampment that grew to about 83 people at some point, from what we understand. Of those 83, the Herald administration says, made offers of shelter or housing to all of them. We saw it reported in public cola, and this is where it gets a little more interesting. Four of those people, permanent supportive housing. 79 of those people, so the vast majority of them, emergency shelter of some sort. Now, is emergency shelter a bad thing? No, it's not. But in terms of trying to find some more permanent solutions to these, I think we're still at a little bit of an impasse here because that shelter piece we're getting some people in there, but that turnaround going from shelter into more permanent solutions is not happening and right and now. And I'll be honest with you, and, you know, we're still, it's a, it's a big learning curve around homelessness here in the city, so yeah. I definitely don't claim to be any no. expert or anything. But one of, one of the reasons, they're like, well, they were offered uh, shelter, but they denied it. Man, you know what I'm saying? Somebody might be uh, experiencing homelessness, and they have their pet, and it's not just their whatever dog. That's the, that, that animal is a comfort animal to them. 
You know what I'm saying? But they can't go to the shelter because because they have an animal. They can't. You might actually have a family that's living together. Oh, well, this is a women's only shelter. This is a men's only shelter. There's no kids allowed in this shelter. Someone might be honest and be like, yo, I'm actually suffering from a substance abuse right now. You can only go to this one if you're clean. You can only there. So, you know, we need because, you know, like you said earlier, the devil's in the details. And a lot of time people experiencing homelessness get thrown under the bus. Well, we offer them shelter. And, and that's what us, the other municipal municipalities are doing is they're offering a basic one type of shelter and then they're like well see these people didn't want them and in some some cities here they're ready to put people in jail and so it's really important that we break down this like yeah what kind of shelter and i think that was definitely happening over the course of the covid pandemic and is still happening this effort to try to turn these shelters into something that is better than outside because i think for a long time david croman brought this up in the podcast here desc here downtown said Anything's better than outside, but when you're putting people into congregate situations where they're right next to each other on cots, whatever else, certainly with the COVID pandemic, that's not better than outside. So I think they're trying to find different ways to get around that, try out some different uh, shelter options there. I will say, however, with the Woodland Park example, something I was heartened by, it was a camp of maybe 60 some odd people. It actually grew a little bit to about 80 some odd when the word went out that they were going to sweep, which sounds a little weird, but the dynamic there was, I think a lot of people who needed services went to that park because, okay, where's the city focus right now? Woodland Park. Maybe if I go there, I can get some try- some help and maybe get into housing too. Yeah, and then, you know what I'm saying? And one time for the people of mutual aid. You yeah. see what I'm saying? People know, and then the mutual aid show. You know, the thing is we're so close, but we're so far. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? We're so close. There's so many just everyday good people. There's mutual aid. There's people who work on this issue with all their heart. There's the city with their infrastructure resource. There's the regional. And there's a lack of housing. I got to throw that in the mix, too. I mean, hello. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A a big like we're going overtime, Brian, real quick. Is there anything else? I just want to make sure I brought up something. You talked about your elders actually visited with some of your elders in southeast Seattle today. A really cool operation here at the Southeast Seattle Senior Center. Salman, could you bring up that photo for me? I really wanted to show people this. It's a really cool, how we, maybe we can see a little bit of it there, but this was a group that I hung out with. This is actually their exercise class down there that I was kicking it with today. Really good group. Uh, this is in connection with a, a charity event I run for my church, but a really good group with Mark Bryant down there and the gang. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, and they're a lot of, they, they work out like beasts down there. You got to watch out for Southeast Seattle. You know, and, and well, that's one that's dope. And yeah, thank you for sharing. Cool. Yeah. Two, that is, it's like, uh, you know, we're we're partners over here, age friendly Seattle, yeah, age friendly King County. Mm-hmm. You know, two years ago, I I was I was with them this last year, a few months ago, Triana mm-hmm. was with them. You know, as like I said, we got a big heart, and a lot of space mm-hmm. for our, for our cherished community. Got to do it, man. It's the way to be. It's the way to be. All right, Brian cool. Callanan mm-hmm. uh, will catch Seattle news, views, and brews tonight at seven p.m. Yep, and keep making those smart fashion decisions. Every every now and then, I figured out. <laughs> I learned it by watching you, Omari. I learned it by watching you. There it is. We're gonna take a quick break right now. We come back, and we got Bolts. We got Reese Tatamura, managing director, right over there, Northwest Folk Life. You're watching the morning update show. Grace. Good morning. How are you doing, Trey? I'm well. I'm well. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome to the Black Media Matters Studios. It's your first time here Isn't with us. First time here, and it's beautiful. I I love this wall. I was just, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. We should have more more art and pho- photography on, on every wall, everywhere. You know, because it really represents the history. And so I appreciate that. I'm glad that you're here in the building. Well, I, I mean. Northwest Folk Life does a lot of things. I want you to be able to give our audience a real synopsis of what Northwest Folk Life is. 
Sure. Um, so most people know Northwest Folklife for the annual festival, which last year hit its 50th anniversary. Um, and my uh, co-director, Ben, is here to talk a little bit more about that. Um, there's a, you know, a huge part of what goes into that festival is relationships and uh, community building and trying to be a good advocate for arts and cultures and, and, and for the artists and culture bearers that do participate in the festival, do participate in our programs. Um, and that's really just about what is what is the day-to-day -day need out there to make sure that arts and culture is, um, it's an, an essential part and it matters to our community, right? Um, those folks know that it does. I think in the wider world, we know that, especially after COVID, right? Like so many people relied on arts and entertainment to have that outlet. Um, but really where is the value and the resource to make sure that our artists and culture bearers can really have um, a good life here in an expensive city? Yeah. Um, so parts of that um, are also our year-round programming. Um, we do um, youth programming partnered with uh, Rhapsody program down in South Seattle. Uh, we did a program called Unbroken Circle where they got to meet with um, mentors from the Roots Blues uh, community, um, luthiers, sort of uh, folks who do do making, do craftsmanship, do music making, and then also use that as a launching point to look into their own heritage and history and make music about it. Um, and then also uh, started a program with our cultural focus committee in 2018. So we have this thing every year. Again, I'll let Ben talk a little bit more about this year's, but uh, the cultural focus is a really big part of focusing in on a community getting a little bit more, you know, in depth with some leaders in that community to express like, what is it about the community that they want the rest of the greater, you know, Pacific Northwest region to know. Um, and so Echoes of Aslan was a beautiful um, cultural focus on Chicano, Chicana, um, Latino, Latina culture. Um, and m that committee, you know, really expressed that youth uh, outlets for, uh, arts and not just arts, but arts that were grounded in heritage that mm -hmm. helped young people get in touch with their identity and roots um, was really important part of what they wanted to push forward. So with that, with that group, we um, co-created the Proxima uh, Generacion, which is a youth residency program. Mm -hmm. um, they were meeting out at Napantla, a cultural uh, arts gallery with, uh, you know, Jake Prendes and his crew out there for um, a while. They went online during COVID. Um, one of the things that we were really proud of is that another program that we started in 2020 that you know a little bit about um, called the Cultural and Creative Workforce Development Program intertwined with those programs. Um, that program essentially was an opportunity to work with the city to bring resources forward to pay young people to experience culture and creative fields. Um, and particularly in community with um, mentors, small businesses, organizations that normally don't have the opportunity to have interns um, 
you know, even volunteer ones, which we know, um, you know, all the things, but, uh, but definitely, you know, having some resources to bring that capacity and then build capacity so that, you know, they can bring them into their organizations or into the fields. Um, And so through that program, we were able to have a couple of interns who led the program jointly with our um, artistic director and then um, now are actually the teaching artists in the program. And so that's, you know, that's the kind of channel that Northwest Folklife really wants to have that intergenerational connection, wants to really have that, um, that, that lineage of having programs that allow folks to continually um, iterate and evolve uh, around their cultural identity and expressions. Yeah, this is so important because when we talk about the creative workforce, you know, one of the things that I really uh, appreciate is that Washington State is realizing the need for creative economy uh, metrics to be here. I mean, we're talking about the fact that we have really missed out on a lot of film dollars. Um, now film is starting to get, you know, its own incentives. We went from $2 million to now $15 million, But it also, there's some equity measures there that I think are really important. And it's, it's one of those things where we also need to be thinking about how we uh, build that workforce in all of these different ways. I mean, I'm so grateful to Northwest Folklife because, you know, that we, I'm working with two interns um, already and to see them thriving, to see them growing and learning um, with hands-on experience, I think is so key. It was key for me. And I I love that, you know, we now have opportunities to provide out there for the next generations to see themselves as the creatives they are. But they got to have the space to do that, Reese. They have to have the space and support, really. You know, we we, uh, think about like, oh, young people, they should learn and they should pay their dues. But, you know, some of these young people are supporting part, they're helping support their families. They're um, contributing. Some of them are out on their own. And this is a very expensive city and region to live in. So part of that is making it possible for them to do both also to, uh, basically cultivate that ingenuity and nurture that ingenuity that is that we're so known for, whether it's tech or whether it's, you know, whether it's culture, it is all about innovation and ingenuity that starts at the creator level, right? Um, And I think, you know, you were talking about creative economy, you know, we keep talking about the fact that the national like GDP is like about four to six percent nationally um, in creative economy fields. And for our region, it's four times that, particularly in Seattle. Um, So, you know, one, that is a stunning number, you know, comparatively and and, and with all the, the kinds of economy and industry out there to make sure that we are doing as much as we can to nurture people to um, continue to be a part of that, continue to be able to benefit from that. Because I think what has typically happened with our communities, black and brown communities, mm-hmm. right, is that um, the, the uh, creative and um, sort of innovative um, goods are extracted. Oh, the, yeah. the, the products are extracted from our communities and then, you know, like marketed and commercialized. And really what we want to get back to is funding the creators to be able to create and to live and to just inspire us on a daily basis. Absolutely. Just really have that, like, I live in a city that I look around, I look at great photography, I look down at public art, you know, in, in the different uh, uh, courtyards out and about. And it's really about making sure that those artists is not just 
a moment that they're encapsulated in, but that their their livelihood and their work is also honored in a way that they can continue to live here and do that work. I agree 100%. I also think, too, that, you know, we, we have something. I see it happen all the time. Great people leave the city, right? Uh, they don't see themselves as a part of the city or a fabric of the city. Or they're like, the opportunities just aren't here. I got to go to L.A. I got to go to New York. I got to go to Atlanta. I got to go to another hub, even Vancouver, which really Vancouver's film scene is because they wanted to come here and we didn't have the incentives and Vancouver was like, Oh, you're not going to do it. We will build a whole thing here. They got sound stages and their own mini Hollywood. But the idea is that a lot of people don't see that solid foundation here for them to be able to be here and still thrive in a national global way with their artistic works. I think that that's something we also have to change. So I'm really grateful uh, to Northwest Folklife and for the things that you all are doing there to really help usher this in. I think it's important that, you know, not just young people, but people in general really see the benefit of creativity because you're right, Reese, it is a foundation of culture. So I'm just grateful. I know uh, Benjamin is going to be talking about the festival, but I want to make sure that if people are trying to plug in to Northwest Folk Life, if they got young folks that they know that maybe want to be a part of this creative economy and the things that you all are doing for cultural innovation internships, please let them know right there in the camera. Yeah, um, we have right now we have 17 interns that only a couple of them are placed at Northwest Folklife. The rest are out in community at different community orgs um, and there are more opportunities coming. We've been really fortunate partnering with the Office of Arts and Culture and the Office of Economic Development and Film and Music to uh, be able to put forth these resources to place more young folks. And so we're in conversations right now with some different, uh, we have a, the civic uh, poet, Jordan Keith, is looking for some, uh, you know, an assistant apprentice. Um, and then we also have some things on the horizon with a couple of sound uh, studios and, you know, just really trying to look for both site placements, really focusing on um, small community-minded um, uh, businesses that really are both, um, you know, pushing the edge of our industry and then also like really giving back to the community. Um, and then also for young people who are really interested in pursuing, you know, not just a passion, but a, a, a passionate career yeah. um, and continue to be able to do that, you know, through a longevity of their lifespan, or even, you know, just take those skills and apply that creativity to wherever they go. Um, and some of those interns actually were going to be uh, gathering at the festival, doing projects and out there. So I'm really excited about that. Um, if you see folks with a camera or, you know, running around and doing a little bit of content creation, make sure you take note because um, that's our, that's our future right there. That's, that's, that's the city we want to live in. Amazing. Uh, Reese, I so appreciate you for being here. What is the website for Northwest Folk Life if people are trying to tap in? Yeah, please go to nwfolklife.org. And specifically, you can look up CCWD, <laughs> nice acronym there, uh, Cultural and Creative Workforce Development. You can see a little bit more about our all our partners and our wonderful, wonderful, hardworking and uh, so creative interns.
Yeah, talented folks. Talented. Reese, thank you so much for joining me today. I so appreciate everything you're doing in community. Thank you for all that effort. Thank you so much for letting me be here with you today. Absolutely. Anytime, Reese. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys. Coming up, I got Big O is hitting the scene with Benjamin. They're going to be talking about this amazing Northwest Folk Life Festival that Reese was kind of tidbitting on here a little bit after this short break. Stay tuned. You're watching the Morning Update Show. All right. Welcome back to the Morning Update Show. My name is Omari Salisbury. Join right now, Benjamin Hunter, Artistic Director, Northwest Folklife. Welcome to the Black Media Matter Studios. Thank you, Omari. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, I've been watching your show for you know what two years now, and so it's it's uh, it's really nice to be here and to see all these lovely pictures in the background, all these beautiful memories. Um, it's really a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I saw when you came in earlier, it was like some of these things literally jumped off the wall at you. You're like, yeah, hey, I know this picture and that place and everything else, huh? Yeah, I, I, I study, I study, you know, I study old blues and, and, and old jazz. And, you know, you got the sweethearts here. You got the founders of the Black and Tan Club up there. I mean, you got Al Smith. I mean, you just, this is this is this is what it's all about. It's, uh, you know, we're talking about folk. We're talking about history. We're talking about storytelling. And this is beautiful to just have this as the background. I feel good, especially because, you know, I got my hat on. Yeah, you know I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you, you, you're vibing right now. Before we get into the actual uh, Northwest Folklife Festival, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you do there as artistic director and uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I think Folklife has, has been a part of my life since I was since I was born. You know, I really do believe that that folk will save the world, and I and I and I say that, and I know it might sound a little hyperbolic, but you know, when, when we when we when we talk about folk, when we talk about craft and storytelling and music and dance, um, you know, we're talking about the things that reinforce our personhood. Uh, we're talking about the things that like reinforce our our individual and our and our collective identities, and. Um, you know, we look at all the things that are happening in the world and it's because uh, people are afraid of, of change and intrinsic and inherent in folk is change. Like in, in, inherent in, in, in this music, in this dance, in the storytelling is the embrace of, of, of something new um, based off of the, of the stories and the, and the memories and the nostalgia that you get from your parents and your grandparents and your aunties. And so... You know, I, I translate that to 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 my role at uh, Northwest Folklife. Um, you know, because we have this fifty year organization that's been around. Um, that you know, over over these five decades has has been changing, and it's been growing, and it's been you know, it's including more and more of the growing um, amalgam of 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 culture that is represented in the Pacific Northwest. And so, you know, I, I see my role as just being a, a facilitator to make that continue to perpetuate. Yo, so I was I would say this, right? It's real interesting. I'm glad that you guys are here today and this amazing team over there, your high level of intentionality and coming here and converge. We've partnered on a lot of different things that workforce development, interns, you guys have actually been part and parcel of our growth here at Converge through that program. You know, and I'm so thankful. I say that to everybody that Northwest Folk Life has impacted Converge Media in a positive way. And you see for yourself here today how how people have gone through your program in their real life, everyday skills, top level director now. 
<laughs> you know, what I'm yeah, I'm you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ain't no game. Ain't, boy, you know what I'm saying? You can go with the best of them. But one thing I wanted to, to, to bring up and that a lot of a lot of black people don't think about and when we when we say the word folk, a lot of time that that throws us off. Like, oh, that's that's not for us, this and that. But the the especially around music and crafts as well, but folk and storytelling part and parcel of the black story and the black experience here in America. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think, I think uh, to me, uh, one of the, one of the founding things I wanted to get, get done, you know, in, 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 in my first year here at folk life was reclaim what the word folk means, right? Re redefine it. I, not even redefine it. I mean, I think, Reese, Reese was helpful and like, you know, we're not redefining this, we're reclaiming this word because there's this, uh, this stigma or this misnomer that folk um, is assigned to, you know, maybe a, 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 an old white dude with a beard playing a banjo, right? And that's not wrong, but it's not the whole picture. Um, folk music is an international, folk, folk in general is, is international. You know, but, you know, before this, we were really talking about our experiences on the, on the continent in Africa, you know, and and when I lived there, you know, uh, I, I I was in a program called uh, Chapao in Zimbabwe, and after school every day, um, I would go and I would uh, practice marimba, and I would practice shona, and I would practice um, mbira, and I would practice uh, dance routines, and we would go and perform them in different schools, and like that's the folk music, that's their folk, that's their storytelling. And it had a huge impact on me because when I came, you know, as I've, as I've lived in the United States and I've, and, I've, and I've been a musician for most of my life studying roots and blues music, that's, it's the same exact thing. It's a storytelling through, through experience. When we listen to old blues music, you know, Mississippi John Hurt or Libby Cotton, you know, they Come consider on. themselves folk musicians, not yeah. blues musicians. It was an industry, a music industry that, mm. that, that, that tried to, corner people into this into this into this name right. right but but folk isn't a genre it's a it's a it's a lifestyle <laughs> you know it's a it's a i think like feeling. one if you were to say in that category although she went very mainstream um well the mainstream picked up her music she didn't go mainstream tracy chapman yeah all that we have is our soul you know what i'm saying exactly. yeah exactly but <clears throat> We gonna we gonna have to do another show together. Too. <laughs> we are we are the club. Me and yeah, we will sit here. We we'll talk this all day, um, man. Now, how does that translate over here now into Northwest Folk Life Festival? And tell people what Folk Life Festival is all about and what they can expect this year. Absolutely. I mean, all of that that I that, that that's been said. You know, uh, this year's cultural focus is called metamorphosis, mm -hmm. and that's intentional. Um, metamorphosis. You know how how do how do we change? What happens in that in that chrysalis in that cocoon? Um, where a, 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 a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And so we really wanted to lean on the idea that over the past two years, everybody in this world has gone through some sort of change. Everybody in this world has had to adjust themselves, right? And, and so just as natural as folk, dance, music, craft, whatever, um, goes through some sort of transition or transformation, um, you know, I think it was, it was really important for us at Folk Life um, to, to come back as a festival, as a, as a, as a long time festival, as a, as a, um, as a, um, a very special festival for this city um, and, and announce to the world that like even folk life has gone through a metamorphosis and, and we have realized and seen 
different ways and, and, and things that we need to do to transition ourselves into our next 50 years of folk life. Um, so, you know, Reese touched on, on some of these things uh, earlier when we talked about um, creative economy and, and creative ecosystem. You know, how do we become not just a, an organization that hosts a festival, but how do we get people to understand that we have at, we have year long programming and, and some of that programming is is specifically catered to supporting and advocating for a creative economy? Um, how do we uh, engage even more than we do now um, in programming that's year round so that folk life isn't just um, thought of as a four day festival, but really we are occupying 365 days a year because that's how folk life exists anyways. Um, and, and also how do we um, take advantage of this two years of like hyperspeed learning into a digital and virtual element um, and, and engage in that a little bit more. Uh, you know, there's people that, that live a mile away from the Seattle Center that aren't able to get to the Seattle Center. And so to be able to have a digital virtual platform um, is, is a really important way for them to engage in our, in our programming. Um, not to mention that last year, 2021, our virtual programming was seen in, you know, over 60, 58 countries, 900 cities around the world. So like, you know, we, we can't turn away from this, the writing on the wall. Um, and so we're, you know, we're going to have partnering with Converge. We're going to be having a live stream of our mural stage for the festival, which I'm really excited about that people are going to be able to, you know, be there and see, you know, one of our bigger stages um, live streamed. Um, and that'll be on a channel on our, on our, on our, on our website. Uh, we've recorded, uh, we pre-recorded a bunch of videos in March. Um, of folks so that people can see um, another channel. And then we're also going to have a film, a film festival um, component where we'll have over 25 films shown at the festival in person. And those films will also be shown virtually for that one day only. All right. So, you know, you see what he said there be viewed on convert, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, um, that's a big deal for us. It's a big deal for us, Amari. You know? It's a it's a huge deal for us, and we appreciate it. Yeah, that's 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 a big deal. Hey, intern Vaughn, look like you're gonna be busy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> my bad, man. My bad. <laughs> so, uh, man, tell everybody what the 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 dates, the the location of of the the in person festival. Uh, it's gonna be um, Friday, May twenty seventh, uh, to Monday, May thirtieth. Um, 11 a.m. to to 10 p.m. Uh, every day. Um, you know we've got 13 stages. We've got uh, craft vendors, food vendors. We've got a, a new maker space where people can um, uh, get hands-on uh, access to to different types of you know luthery or or woodworking or basket weaving. If you want to learn how to do it or or get interested in it, here's a chance to actually. Put your hands on it and try something new. Um, we're bringing, you know, we're bringing uh, uh, David Rue and, and Randy Ford out to do a dandy show. Like we're updating folk. You know, folk isn't just stuff that lives in the past, right? Folk is constantly evolving, and, and, and we're going to bring some new styles. We got a metamorphosis band, um, so we're going to have uh, rotating casts of, of folk musicians come up on stage with a live band, and we're going to see the change in the music in real time. They're going to bring their old folk. We got Balkan music. We got um, we got uh, Celtic music. We got uh, Mongolian music. And they're going to come up and they're going to play their traditional song with a live band. And that live band is going to back them up in real time and learn the music right on stage. And you can That's see something dope. new happening right there. That's it's dope. going to be dope. And tell people, how much does this cost? It's free. It is free, people. 
you just you just come you just you just show up you just show up and party you know ultimately i just want to mention that that's that's what this is right that's what folk life is it's just a big party and that's what's going to save the world is more parties yeah and so <laughs> you will like i said you'll you'll find us there um those are four long days. It's four but, long days. But we were, <laughs> listen, listen. I I, know. I ain't been on my feet that long. Continuous days since the protest. <laughs> but, I had to go and buy new shoes. But we're we're up for it, and it's gonna be an amazing experience, and be able to to transmit this to the world. You know what I'm saying, and to our our people all over the globe. Um, once again, for more information about the festival, we'll let people know. Um, you can go to our website, nwfolklife.org, uh, for, the, for the organization. Um, we have a, a festival-specific website, nwfolklife.org backslash festival. Um, we're going to have a mobile app available for download next week uh, so people can have you know, direct contact to, to, to stages and artists. Um, and, uh, and please find us on Facebook and all the things. And, of course, tune in to, to Converge's uh, YouTube page where you'll be able to see the live stream of our, of our mural stage, which is going to be really exciting. Super dope. Benjamin, promise me you're going to come back and we're going to talk about this. we talk about this piece by piece, yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. We're going to take a very fast break right now. Looks like we're one minute over time. We'll come right back. We're going to wrap it up with Trey Holiday. You're watching the Morning Update Show. All right, welcome back to the Morning Update show. Get ready to get out of here. Trey Holiday rejoins me here on the set. And I'll say this, man, Folk Life Festival is free for everybody. But, you know, there is suggested donation. And I would say this to, to our viewers is that, man, if you ain't got it, show up. It's a party anyway. But if you're in a position to give, give. And this is why I want to say it's important, right, when we talk about suggested donation, you got to think of it bigger than just the festival. Like I just got done telling everybody how folk life has directly impacted Converge through the workforce development and everything else over there. And so when we support uh, organizations like folk life, the benefit isn't just, you know, in four days of concerts. The benefit is, is that they're able to help push what we're doing here and also in reinforcing that black media matters. Absolutely. It's important. And also too, I mean, uh, you know, reset it. There are 17 different interns and only two of them have stayed with Northwest folk life. So the idea that they have interns all over the place, this is impacting so many other spaces. I'm glad that Converge is a part of that, but please give that, that do suggested donation uh, for this amazing festival. It takes a lot of work to pull these things together man that's a lot of hard work <laughs> i know i have a lot of water bottles <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Woo. man all right trey holiday i took you over time man any last words before we get out of here oh for me always see yourself as a part of the solution clearly reese and benjamin have done that and i'm telling you you guys can be inspired look every time we bring guests on here we know brian is doing it in his way we know that we have all of our shows that are doing it in their ways be inspired and see yourself as a part of the solution all right, good stuff. We're going to get out of here tonight. And yeah, we've been playing the bumper or the interstitial, as Brian said, here. Seven o'clock tonight, Seattle News, Views, and Brews. Great information source of what's going on in the city. On that note, want to remind everybody go forward in your purpose, go forward in your humanity. And until tomorrow at 11 a.m., peace. peace.
thousand little steps to go What do I fear after all these years? Lord knows I don't even know I've been running on the edge of the sun thou sleeping in the shadow I've been begging you to see me Then hiding beyond the unreachable Looking now left on a right hand turn Just trying to make a deal A lazy shoes and love is a love that's earned That's the kind of food that heals I've been searching for the end of And never waiting to be ready The world is bigger than a moment Be steady, that's how you can feel it's real But I feel naked produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.